your Bible, if you would please, join me in the book of Haggai. A good book, easy to find in your Bible. If the pages stick together, you missed it, all right? If you have a Bible like mine, it's page 962. If you don't, look at the index in the front and it'll tell you what page it's on. Haggai, chapter number one. Find your place there, if you would please, today. We continue our series and our theme on God is able. How many folk believe that? He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we think or ask. Can you imagine a God so huge and so able and so sufficient to do even above we can even think? Man, I can think of some awful big things. I'll tell you that right now. And uh, so that's the kind of God we serve. Our theme this year for our stewardship is God is able. And uh, we're talking about stewardship being management. Stewardship being responsibility. Stewardship being priorities. Today, we want to take a look in your Bible to Haggai chapter number one. I give you just a little time to find that place. I want you to find another place, 1 Timothy chapter number six. 1 Timothy chapter number six. First Sunday in February, we'll be taking, we'll be receiving our give it all Sunday. Now, that don't mean giving all your money. That means surrendering all of you to the will of God. Whatever God wants you to do, whatever God wants you to give, whatever, wherever God wants you to go, that's give it all. That Sunday is we want it all. God wants all of us. The Bible said we're not our own. We're what? Bought with a price. So that's good. You say, well, preacher, how much are you going to get that day in offering? Just exactly the amount God wants. And I hope it's 150000 Because if it's not, I'm leaving town. Somebody else can do the rest of it, all right? We need 5% to finish our building. Uh, in other words, we've got all, we've got 95% in the bank. And uh, if God would be so gracious to give us $150,000 that day, it would consummate, finish the building for the glory of God. And we would not have to uh, uh, spend our, our operating capital to do that. Preacher, what's going to happen if I don't get $150,000? We're going to pay for the building. That's what we're going to do. And then I'll take special offerings for 10 years after that. <laughs> Trying to buy enough dog feed to buy my sorry old dogs. Are you ready? The book of Haggai was written by the prophet Haggai. He is one of a few post-captivity prophets. He is preaching and prophesying to the remnant that has gone from Babylon back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. They've been in captivity for 70 years. It's possible 
that Haggai was 80 or 90 years old, meaning that he not only, not only remembered the captivity of Jerusalem, he remembers the splendor of the beautiful temple that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and his cohorts. So he's prophesying post-captivity. 49,987 Jews left Babylon to go back to Jerusalem to lay the foundation of the temple and to build the temple. 536 B.C., they went back and commenced the work and worked until they got the foundation of the temple laid. Two years after the work had begun, the work ceased because of Sanballat, the Arabians, the Samaritans, and the, the lack of funds to finish the foundation. The foundation of the work of God now has ceased and the people have become occupied and preoccupied with building their own houses. Now, I know, you already know, I'm going to talk about priorities today. And I just believe that we need our priorities in the right place. A farmer ran a classified ad in the Quarry County Sun, and the farmer said, I am a farmer with 160 acres of irrigated land looking for a marriage-minded woman with a tractor. (laughs) When you respond, please send picture of tractor. That is priorities. Haggai chapter 1 verse 3. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses And this house lay waste. They had left Babylon with proper priorities. But because of circumstances, finances, something has happened now and their priorities have shifted from God's house to my house. One amen from anywhere be all right. Okay. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag 
with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Consider your ways. That's a good, a good statement. It's a, a good suggestion. Consider your ways. Why is it many work so hard and have so little? Why is it we eat so much only to want more and better? Why is it we're blessed beyond all other nations in the world and yet we're not satisfied? Why is it we don't thank God for what we got We cuss our neighbor for what he has. Why is it we're always suspicious of someone who's driving the car we would like to have been driven? Consider your ways, the Bible says. I read for you out of the book of 1 Timothy chapter number 6. And uh, I'm going to be real short today. Because what I'm speaking on, it don't take long to get enough of it, I don't think. Verse 6 of this chapter, I want you to look at it. Consider your ways, the Bible suggests. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world... And it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness and godliness and faith, love, patience and meekness. He said, that's not going to be easy. Notice the next word. Fight. Fight the good fight of faith. You know why the world's winning? You surrendered. You know why your spirituality has gone out the window? You threw up the white flag of surrender. You didn't want to fight the world and all of its allurements and all of its attractions. 
You say, well, preacher, I'm doing all right. Yeah, but you're raising kids and they're watching and they're listening and raise good kids. It's a fight. You don't surrender that. That's a fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Run to thou art called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give the charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good report, good confession that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches but in the living God who giveth us richly all things now be careful all things to worship all things to bow down to All things to give us a nervous breakdown trying to enjoy. God gives us junk that we can enjoy the junk. Not that the junk becomes our God. Priorities. You think about that just a minute. Group of friends went deer hunting, paired off in twos for the day. That night when I'm returned alone, staggering, carrying a 200-pound deer across his back. They said, well, where's John? He said, oh, something happened in back yonder. His chest began to hurt, and he had a heart attack and died. I said, why didn't you bring John? He said, nobody wants to steal John. I was afraid he did steal my deer. Priorities. Hmm? Notice now. Charge them that are rich in this world. We're rich, folk. According to the standards of all the rest of the world, we are rich. Also, many of us are rich according to the standards of where we live. We're rich not in this world's materialism, but we're rich in the things of God. We're rich in the family God has blessed us with. Uh, We're rich. Uh, We do not have to cut wood anymore. We just go to a thermostat. Uh, We're rich. Uh, uh, You ladies uh, got automatic dishwashers, automatic meat grinders, automatic, 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 automatic. I don't know how we're making it. It's tough. Amen. And Lord, help us not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Charge them that they do good. That's verse number 18. Charge them that they be rich in good works. Charge them to be ready to distribute if you received it from God. 
God give it to you that it might be a blessing to your family and others. Charge them that they lay up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may hold on eternal life. Our Father, today for just a moment now, please give me quickness of thought and uh, urgency of delivery. And Lord, may we leave this place saying it's been good to have been in the house of the Lord. Amen. Priorities is stewardship. Just as God gives me everything I have and I am to manage it for his glory. Just as I am responsible to God for everything I have. Because one of these days I'll give an account for everything God has put in my possession. Whether it be a talent, whether it be time, whether it be treasure, whatever it might be. One of these days I'm going to stand before God and give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. And if you're saved, you will also. And so I would say to you today that it would behoove us to consider our ways to see if maybe we have drifted just a little bit and maybe use today's message as a reminder that God is interested in us having proper priorities. We all live with priorities. A priority is something that takes first place of importance in your life. The Bible speaks of priorities. Notice verse 17 of 1 Timothy chapter number 6. Priorities, trust in the living God, or trust in uncertain riches. I like what took place on the intercom of an airplane. The pilot came over the intercom and said, folks, I've got some bad news and some good news. I think I'll give you the bad news first. The bad news is that we're lost and we do not know where we are. It's kind of like that plane that landed in the wrong airport up in Missouri the other day. Man, don't you know I'd be safe for that pilot, wouldn't you? I missed the runway. Missed, landed in the wrong airport. Five or six miles away. So the intercom says, folks, I have some bad news, good news. The bad news is that we're lost. The good news is we're making excellent time. (laughs) The bad news is most of our priorities are wrong. The good news is we're making great time. I don't know if you know this or not. I don't know if you even believe this or not. But it's wise to examine where you are in life. Because where you are in life will determine where you'll be in life. I wonder today if maybe some of our priorities might not be a little far off question I would ask you today is where are you headed? Where do you want to be next year, this time? How are you going to get there? 
How many are you going to step on to get where you want to go? How many are you going to make mad, disappointed, heartbroken to get where you're going? Some folks are that way. You know that, don't you? And our priorities determines where we are in life. And our priorities not only determine where we are in life, it will also determine what we do with our life. You see, I, I don't know, maybe, uh, maybe you may be one of those who are going to hear the Lord say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Or maybe you've got the priorities that when you get before God, you'll hear him say, depart from me, thou wicked and slothful, unprofitable servant. I, I don't know, but I, I just believe that it behooves us today to determine where we are in life. Notice the Bible said, consider your ways. Have you considered recently the big difference in temporal and eternal priorities? Now you think about it just a minute. Have you even considered this week, last week, this month, this year, have you considered the huge difference in temporal and eternal priorities. Do you have any different? Do you, make, do you have any idea of the difference in making a living and making a life? How many in this place this morning is content with making a living and not a life? Just give me that paycheck. Click. Bow down to that time clock. Oh, clunk. That's all life is, just making a living. Temporal priorities. Me, mine, ours, and God is out. Preacher, you're going to make me mad talking about money. Hey, I ain't mentioned it yet. Can you imagine making anybody save mad talking about 10%? Can you imagine anybody in the world getting locked jaw that's been saved on the way to heaven, got a mansion, redeemed, washed in the blood? Can you imagine anybody getting huffy about talking about 10%? You say, well, you don't know how much my 10% is. God knows how much your 10% is. And God's the one's controlling the faucet. Can you say Amen. And may I say to you today, hey, don't get mad at me for talking about 10%. I'm just talking about your priorities. And I'm asking you this today, are you interested in making a living for your kids or making a life for your kids? Are you more interested in giving them junk or giving them Jesus? I'm just saying, have you considered lately the, the, the huge difference in making a living and making a life. Let me show you about making a living. First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. Let me show you the difference between making a living and making a life. About temporal priorities compared to eternal priorities. First Timothy chapter number six. Let me help you a little bit. Let me show you a guy that's making a living. Verse number nine. Verse number nine said, they that... Will be rich. 
making a living. They that will be rich, making a living. That's, that's what we work for. Isn't we? How, why do you go to work? You go to work for money. Is that right? You give your life for a certain sum of money. Is that right? Somebody's buying so much of your life for so much an hour. As sure as the world. And they'd be crooks if they did not pay you. Is that right? And you'd be a crook if you didn't work, if you took the money. They that will be rich. Let's make a living. They that will be rich. Let's make a living. Let's get ahead. Let's get it. They that will be rich. Fall. I like that. Fall. Didn't say jump. Says fall. You didn't know you was going to, but you did. You said you wasn't going to, but you did. You said you'd never bow down to George Washington, but you did. You said you'd never think more about money than you do Jesus, but you did. You fail. You fail. They fall into what? Is there anybody here free from temptation? You say, preacher, money does not bother me. Bother me, bother me, bother me, bother me, bother me, bother me. I never think about it. My wife has a verse she quotes, all liars shall be friars. They fall into temptation and a snare. They're trapped. This morning about one or two o'clock, I don't know what time it was, I was studying at, at home and you say, what time did you start? Oh, about five minutes before this story start. And I looked across my desk <laughs> And it was a mouse in my office. I would rather it been a rattlesnake or a grizzly bear. I hate mice. They're ugly. They're dirty. They're filthy. They're vicious. They're mean. They grow up to be great big rats that bite you and run off with your shoes and your foot's still in it. I hate mice. Awful embarrassing me standing up at my desk two o'clock in the morning yelling and screaming for my wife to come rescue me from this great big mouse. I hate mice. Hate mice. And I told my wife it was her responsibility to set out the trap line. She asked me where that vicious thing was. I pointed. She set out the trap Can you imagine anybody being so mean to allure, to tempt, to set a snare? So when that innocent little mouse stuck his wee little head in that wee little trap, and that mouse says, my cheese. Look how good God has been to me to give me this cheese. Allured. Tempted. That mouse got the wrong priorities. He got his mind off of living and got it on cheese. 
He was a Baptist mouse. He didn't make a member in good standing around here. Because priorities don't matter anymore. It's just my cheese. Fall in two. How many do you know that maybe got so busy making a living? Well, they got the cheese all right. Right before the door fell. And she said, I'm gone. And the kids got the wrong idea about Jesus. And the kids got the wrong idea about attending church. And the family just now lackadaisical living for their house. It's my house that's important, not God's house any longer. Oh, the penalty of making a living instead of making a life. Could I read for you, please, how to make a life? But charge them, verse 17 of verse 6, chapter 6, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Why? Laying up treasures in a heavenly place so that when Jesus Christ comes back, We've laid hold on eternal life and we're glad to hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Have you considered for just a little while the huge difference between temporal and eternal priorities? I was reading yesterday that history records there was 11 millionaires on the Titanic when she sank. 11 millionaires on board the Titanic when she sunk. One such millionaire by the name of Pugin had over $300,000 worth of jewels, cash, stocks, and equities in a box in his stateroom. Over $300,000 worth of cash and valuables in a box. He said, the money seemed a mockery at that time. I picked up three oranges and got in a lifeboat. The money seemed like mockery to me as the Titanic sank, as the cold waters of the Atlantic began to roll over its, its banks. He said, the money seemed like a mockery to me. 
I picked up three oranges and got in a lifeboat. Have you considered lately the huge difference between temporal priorities and eternal priorities? Please let me address just a minute temporal happiness compared to eternal joys. Happy, happy, happy. That's what everybody wants to be. Happy, happy, happy. Happy is a Greek word from the word hap means accidental. <laughs> Most happiness is accidental. All happiness is external and temporary. You say, I'm happy today. She can fix that tonight. <laughs> you say, oh, I'm happy today. Your kid can fix that with one ticket. My kid don't drink. Happy, happy, happy. My kid don't get in trouble. Happy, happy, happy. Everybody wants to be happy. But happiness is temporary. It just shows up because of circumstances. But if it shows up on account of circumstances, guess why it leaves? Well, I know some of you folks were happy with another woman a few years ago. Now you're happy with another one. She leave, you'll be unhappy. You can say amen. Everybody knows it. Happy, happy, happy. Well, boy, I sure am happy, 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 happy. Would you rather have happiness or joy? You know what riches brings? Temporary happiness. Riches never brings eternal joy. Eternal joy, lasting joy, only comes from Jesus. It does not come from circumstance. And it does not just happen to show up. Now, I just think today maybe if we considered our ways, we'd quit trying to make the people we're living with unhappy. Hmm? Let me ask you this in closing. I'm, I'm done. Are you happy that I'm done? That's an accident. Please let me consider just three measurable priorities that you and I will have to answer for at the judgment seat of Christ according to Romans chapter 14 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Romans says we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we'll, every man shall give an account to God for himself. And you'll stand there before God. I will stand there before God and give an account for priorities. 
I'll have to give account for my schedule. What I do with my time. A very, very, very famous man by the name of Charles Francis Adams back about a century ago or so. Keeping a diary. He wrote in his diary, took my son Brooke fishing today, day wasted. Later they found Brooke's diary that he wrote, today daddy took me fishing the greatest day of my life. We'll give an account for our schedule. How we waste our time. We'll give an account for our spending. The Bible says, lay not up for yourself treasures on the earth. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. We will stand before God. And give an account for our schedule. For our spending. Your checkbook is an accurate account of your priorities. It's bad when you ask a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old kid where you live and they say, Walmart, Texas. (laughs) We had such a kid in our church. (laughs) Of course, we also had a kid in our church said, are we going to go to church today where God can yell at us again? Measurable, measurable priorities. Folks, don't waste your schedule. Don't waste your spending. We'll give an account for our speech. The Bible said out of a good heart, out of the treasure of a good heart, flow good things. And out of the treasure of an evil heart, Flows evil things. Then our Lord says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Three measurable, just measurable priorities. Is there anybody here today guilty of having wrong priorities? I think it would be good. I didn't even know that was up there. If I'd have been looking up there, I wouldn't have had to look down here. <laughs> Let me leave you this last thing, and, I, and I'm really done. But, but it's so important. It's so important. We got people that's not here today. You know why? The priorities are wrong. You know why there's not more people in our choir? Now, if our choir don't get any bigger than it was today, we won't have one. You say, who said that? You don't care any more than that? We're not just going to blow. We're just going to blow leaves in the woods. Your priorities are wrong. You want to get up here and sing and bless me so that you're the main show, but you want to get back there and sing because you love Jesus? Your priorities are wrong. If you sing in the shower, you ought to sing in the choir. And I've been asking your husband. Yeah, they sing the same way in the choir too. 
<laughs> Would you consider something for me in closing? Would you consider prioritizing your future pursuits? Now listen, in the light of eternity. Would you just imagine you moving out today and moving in tomorrow? Would you just imagine that today is the last day you got on this earth and you're going to live it like you're going to heaven tomorrow? By the way, how do you know you're not? You say, I'm young and strong and beautiful. Well, now you may be right on one of those. Maybe two, but I'll guarantee you, you ain't on all three of them. And in my prioritizing, may I suggest to you that my priorities ought to parallel the priorities of Jesus Christ. Now let me give you my sermon title. A new life demands new priorities. If any man be in Christ, he's what? A brand new creature. All things are passed away. There is a problem when your priorities does not line up with Jesus Christ's priorities. I know one thing he priority, he spent time alone with God in prayer. You know what's wrong with a lot of Baptists, a lot of Christians? They don't think they need to pray. The Bible said he got up early and spent quality time with God in prayer. Have you prayed today? You should have prayed for me that I could have got through quicker. You should have prayed with me that I could have been more organized. Uh, You need to prayer and I need to prayer and you need to practice. But if we're going to line our priorities up, we need to start praying on a regular basis, praying and, uh, and, and, and supplicating for folks and, and intensifying our prayer life. We need to learn to pray once again. Second thing he practiced OPA. He did not get caught up in other people's agenda. Thank God Jesus didn't have social networking. Hmm? Just thank God that Jesus did not get caught up in what everybody else thought he ought to get caught up in. He always knew what to do. Thirdly, he practiced and taught New Testament stewardship. Does anybody believe that? You know why he practiced and taught stewardship? Because that's what God blesses. We have people in this church who gives great. They didn't always and wasn't always able to. To give what they give today. But several years ago, I began to teach you biblical New Testament stewardship principles. 
And I'll guarantee if you embraced them, you're better off financially today than you were then. I'm going to be preaching in a stewardship meeting soon. And the preacher has already passed out 90-day trial tithing cards. Where that he's told the folks, if you'll tithe for 90 days and God don't give you back or do something, the church will reimburse you for all you've given. Did you know if a guy will sign that, he'll lie about how much he gave? That's not the right reason to give. You give because God's told you to give. And then God blesses you because you do what he asks you to do. And lastly, Jesus made soul winning a priority. For the Son of Man has come to seek and do what? Save that which was lost. We get caught up in our own little world, building our own little houses, sweeping our own little floors, taking care of our own little things, and let everybody around us die and go to hell. While all the time we're preaching that we believe people need to be saved. Is it possible in closing for the 21st time to get caught up in our own places, in our own situation, and forget all about what God wants done. A lady, Biloxi, Mississippi, made the news when she said she had no purpose to to live, no purpose for living. She decided that she'd go down to the bridge and jump off the bridge and just commit suicide because there's no reason to live. She climbed upon the rail of the bridge and jumped off. A fellow standing by forgot he could not swim and saw her jump off into the river and he courageously jumped off the bridge to save her life. He began to sink. He began to struggle. She saw somebody in need. She swam to his rescue and saved her Savior. And she said at that moment, when I saw that person in need, I had something to live for.